0: Practical Wisdom with Scott Allen. Hello, I am Scott Allen, and thanks to my daughter Kate for developing the intro to the Practical Wisdom for Leaders podcast, where we offer a smart, fast paced discussion on all things leadership. My guests help us explore timely topics and incorporate practical tips to help you make a difference in how you lead and live. If you haven't done so, please click subscribe so you automatically, seamlessly stay in the know when we publish new episodes. Likewise, please provide me with feedback. What do you like? What do you dislike? And what else would you like to know? And now, today's show. My guest today is Sarah Sufari. Uh, she has an incredible story, and I, I uh, cannot wait to jump into this conversation because... What we're featuring today is a woman who is out there making a difference in the world, uh, doing the work, so to speak. Uh, a lot of our podcasts focus on theory. We feature professors who are translating theory. And and this is a woman who is actually out in the world making things happen, making a difference. And so I can't wait. And And you're combining two things I love, Sarah. You're combining climbing and mountains with leadership and doing good (laughs) in the world. And so uh, congratulations. Good for you. I can't wait to dive in. Why don't we start with you sharing a little bit about you? And then from there, maybe we jump into the story. Sound good?
1: Sounds great. So first of all, nice to meet you here. And (laughs) I'm so happy to be uh, on this podcast. Uh, Yeah, a little bit about me, Um, I moved to the United States 18 years ago with my family, uh, with not knowing the language, the culture. uh, Just I only knew the United States from the movies, from Hollywood, maybe like the 20 movies that I watched all my life until that point. And that was it. And uh, my family uh, decided to bring my siblings and I, to the United States because they wanted us to have a better future, more opportunities. And I had no idea what I'm going to do here. I just thought, you know, I was good at math and physics. I thought I'm just going to do that for the rest of my life. I'm going to get a job, then Get some money. Get have a good income. Get a car. Get a house. Get married. Have two kids, and that's about it. That's the end of it.
0: <laughs> and then
1: none of that <laughs> happened.
0: <laughs> well, and I'm scared to ask what the what some of the movies you had seen before you got to the United States that informed your impression. <laughs>
1: I I love Terminator, Shark, all those crazy action movies. I love those.
0: <laughs> right
1: now I cannot watch any of them, but I mean they're not satisfying enough, but <laughs> back then I loved those. Oh
0: wow. Well, good. And so, and so then you in recent years, well, fast forward a little bit. So you go to college, correct?
1: Yeah. I went to UCLA, studied electrical engineering bachelor, bachelor's and master's. And then I worked in two different companies, and then at one point in life I realized this is not big enough I am not I, this is I can, I'm satisfied but not as much as I wanted to there is so much more out there yeah and my, one of my advisors and professors at UCLA and also at work my boss told me that I lack self-confidence I'm too shy and I need to work on that mmm And then that was when I decided to take the seminar. It was a leadership seminar. And it was just a three-day, Friday, Saturday, Sunday seminar called Landmark Worldwide. And I took the seminar and the leader of the seminar said, come up with a project so big and huge beyond yourself, something impossible. Mm. And I couldn't think of doing anything impossible. And somebody behind me started talking about Everest. And I just heard the word Everest and I thought, Oh my god, this is perfect! I don't know anyone in my family or extended family who I've ever hiked. I've never been camping before. Oh, I
0: wow.
1: don't. Oh yeah, I don't own a pair of hiking boots. I've never slept in a sleeping bag. I hate cold weather. I'm scared of cockroaches and spiders. <laughs> this is perfect. Impossible. I'm hundred percent sure this is impossible. Wow. And I announced that I'm going to do that.
0: Wow, so you announced I'm going for Everest first.
1: Yeah, I had no idea what it takes. I had no idea. I, I, zero information. I'd never even heard about anybody else in the whole world who have done it. So I, I zero research. I just said I want to do it because I it sounded like a very impossible thing.
0: Yes, yes.
1: Yeah. And, and I went home and I Googled how to climb Everest and uh, very first link I started reading, it said it takes 60 days. And that's when I decided to quit. Cause I thought who goes hiking for 60 days? I mean, I can't yeah. even go for two hours.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so there isn't like a, I think I just downloaded the other day, a couch to 10 K you know, you, this, this, it'll, it'll train you for 15 weeks to run a 10 K. So there wasn't a couch to Mount Everest plan, <laughs> no. existed, right? It didn't, no. wasn't there.
1: <laughs> no, it wasn't there. But you know what? Finally, uh, I, when I started hiking and climbing just a little bit mountain by mountain, I kept failing and failing and failing. I never made it to any of the mountains I have some stories that I shared in my book and on my social media about the number of times that I failed and the pictures and videos of me crying and quitting. But then uh, there was one day, one specific day that I finally decided to 100% quit mountain climbing and put it aside and get rid of all my gear. And it was very, uh, only six months into my decision. Wow. And that was the day that I met the founder of organization Empower Nepali Girls. And he told me the story of the girls who become victims of human trafficking or forced to get married at a very young age. And I kind of surprised myself again when I announced that I'm going to go back to my training for Everest again. But this time I'm going to raise $1 per foot of any mountain that I climb to provide education for these girls.
0: Wow. 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 So you have you have the the objective mission, but then you have uh, another mission that's incredibly important, which is helping these young women.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And the funny thing was, I had no idea how to climb that until that point. I never summited any mountains in my life. And now I just had a whole list of mountains to climb and be successful and make it to the top to make sure that I'm raising funds for these girls. So it wasn't about me anymore at this point. Yeah, I, I, it was all about something, some people, some strangers that I haven't met. I don't even know their language. I don't even know their culture until I met them. Actually.
0: Well, so tell me, tell me about the moment. From a climbing perspective where you thought, wow, maybe I can do this. Was there a a summit that you achieved where your confidence started to build? And and how many years into your endeavor was this period? Two weeks. Really?
1: Yeah. So from the moment that I heard the stories of the girls who become victims of human uh, trafficking, there there was climbing season in Argentina. And okay. I was supposed to go and climb the highest peak in South America, Aconcagua, which is 23,000 feet. Wow. So imagine for somebody who hasn't ever made it to the top of any mountain, now I'm going to Aconcagua, which is, you know, 23,000 feet is very high.
0: Yes. You're not playing around at that point.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but the, the good thing about that mountain is uh, it's not very technical. It's high but hiking in a very high elevation.
0: Okay. So it, it may be somewhat similar to Kilimanjaro. I imagine of all of them, Kilimanjaro would, I mean, it's not easy, but it's the easiest of them, of the seven peaks.
1: Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Okay. So it's a Kilimanjaro, 4,000 feet more.
0: Okay. Okay. Yeah.
1: And it takes longer. Kilimanjaro takes seven days. Akenkawa takes 20 days round trip.
0: Okay. So you get, you get there, you, you have 20 days round trip to do this climb. Yeah. You do it. You make it.
1: Yeah. And I made it to the top. This is my very first summit. And that was, and I didn't feel bad. I didn't feel the altitude. I was extremely strong. I just thought, oh my God, I can actually, this is possible. I can do this. Yes. And and then that I didn't have the courage to take the flag of empower Nepali girls to to that mountain because I, I wasn't sure that I can make it or not mm-hmm. and I didn't want to I I just I just thought that was that that's not a good idea to uh, advertise a lot because I wasn't sure about myself I didn't have the confidence
0: sure sure and
1: the moment that I was standing on the top. And I knew this is possible. I that's when my I that's when I started fundraising like crazy. Cause now wow. I knew I'm going for it.
0: Wow. So it's almost like a mindset shift of okay, I've had this win, now I can set my sights on on something bigger. Yeah, and I it, and there must have been almost an identity shift. Of did you start even kind of thinking of yourself as a climber at that point?
1: I still didn't think of myself as a climber because we didn't climb. We were just hiking. It was just ah. walking. So I had to climb a bunch of other mountains in between Aconcagua and Everest to practice a lot of ice climbing, uh, glacier ice walking, using ice axes and crampons to feel more confident. Okay. And then after all of that, especially after that, I climbed Chuyu. Chuyu is 27,000 feet, and most of it is ice climbing.
0: Okay, so now where is that mountain for our listeners?
1: Chuyu is in China. It's in Himalayas. It's very okay. close to Everest, and it's on the border of China and Nepal. So, when you stand on top of Chuo, you, you can, the first thing that you see is Everest, like just next to you. It's so close that you feel like I'm just gonna jump and stand on the summit of Everest and be done with this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that would be awesome, wouldn't it?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I wish. I wish I had wings.
0: <laughs> now, how long did that climb take?
1: 45 days.
0: 45 days. And now at this point, have you met any of the young women that you're doing this work for?
1: Yes. So, right- uh, no.
0: would you would you tell me the story of the first time? Well, it it was a, a gentleman that you had met who had founded this organization, correct? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And so, tell me about the first time you actually start meeting these young women.
1: So, I went to Nepal, and uh, the president of the organization was supposed to come to my hotel, pick me up, and take me to school one of the schools, because there are 14 different locations that the girls are getting education. This one was just one of the schools. Okay. And he picked me up with his small car. It was a Nepali car. And he uh, we arrived at the place like five minutes from my hotel. And the doors opened and there was two lines of students, like girls, little girls. Hmm. Like, I want to say they look like they're five years old, but they are just very small in size. So they were like eight years old, but they look like a five-year-old.
0: Okay. And
1: they were standing, they were holding flowers in their hands. And some of them, they were holding katas. Kata is a shawl that is like a scarf that is blessed by Dalai Lama. Mm. And, And then, so they were holding that. And I walked in. And there's these two lines, and each one is stepping in front of me, either give me a flower or put a scarf around my neck. And they were saying, Namaste, which means I see the light in you. uh, Or they were saying, thank you for helping us. And I started crying. I completely lost it.
0: Hmm.
1: And that was right before Chuoyu. This was the the first day of my 45-day trip top of Chuyu and back. So that whole 45 days on Chuyu, there were uh, days that I was crying in my tent because I couldn't make it, take it anymore. I was just mm. tired. I was sick. I was coughing. Um, I just wanted to go back home. And I would think of that moment when I saw the two lines of girls and they were looking at me like, I'm going to mm. fix their life for them. And I I would just imagine those girls and I couldn't quit. I just I just had to take the next step. And there were days that I was like crying as I was climbing because I was <laughs> just so tired. That picture, that picture saved me the whole time.
0: So tell me tell me a story from Cho Yu that that maybe represents a breakthrough. And I know, that, I know that you you mentioned that you'd look at the picture of the girls or that you would think about the girls and that would help motivate you. Was there any other breakthrough that you had on that mountain that that again, then maybe even helped you kind of conceptualize Everest? Uh,
1: there are, I can tell a lot of stories. Uh, I'm trying to pick which one would be the best one. One, one of them that is, was really shocking. Like I, there were so many times that I was hundred percent sure I'm done and I cannot take one more step. I just couldn't find a little bit of energy inside me to take the next step. Hmm. So I would stand at 25,000 feet and have a huge discussion argument with myself about <laughs> what, what are you doing here? Like, what, the, and it, like, it took me like 12 seconds to convince myself to take one step and I would take one step and then I would have another argument with myself about, okay, that's, that was the, okay, Nick for the next one. So it was just when, when it was done and finished and I was sitting in my tent after the summit, I was, I just realized that our body has so much potential and we have no idea. Like we can do so much when we, think this is it, uh, we don't have enough energy and so so, what really transformed to answer your question like when I'm here on the ground and there is a pandemic and I have to stay at home for months and months, mm-hmm. I just think about the mountains and I think about the times that I had to I were stuck in my tent after, during a storm. I didn't have food or water. I couldn't use the toilet. There is, I haven't showered for days and days and weeks. Mm. And, but I was still continuing on and I still made it to the top of the mountain and came back. So now during the pandemic, I couldn't complain. I'm like, do you have shower? Yes. Do you have restroom? Yes. Do you have a bed and pillow? Yes. Okay, don't complain.
0: <laughs> Just take your next step and, yeah. and you'll be okay. Right. And there's a, you know, as, as we're speaking, I'll put it in the show notes, but the, the leadership scholar is is escaping my mind, but he, he was the CEO of Medtronic and he had a, he had a quote that I loved, which is the hardest person you'll ever lead is yourself. Exactly. And so in that moment, I I, I mean, I have so much respect. I, I have watched film after film after film about these mountains, mm-hmm. whether it's, you know, North Face or, mm-hmm. Shorts that are on YouTube or some of the larger films by uh, that feature Alex Honnold or mm-hmm. any of the other famous climbers that, that and, and incidents, right? The, the Crack Hour book. And um, so I, I have so much respect for that story. And so mm-hmm. for any of our listeners who have not, uh, have no concept of what we're discussing right now, Gosh, Sarah, can you think of a film that we could point listeners to just at this point in the film to help them understand? Is it Meru? That's kind of an interesting film that that uh, features some some indiv- individuals summiting a, a mountain for the first time in the Himalayas. Yeah, maybe we have. Maybe we point listeners to that film.
1: Or so you the could... movie Everest, like the movie that came out in two thousand fifteen. Yeah. yeah.
0: Okay. Okay. Good, because this is not. This is not. a a walk in the park. This is incredibly difficult stuff. And when you even look at the, some of the statistics on K2, a certain percentage of people are not successful and and don't come home when trying to attempt that, that mountain and you're successful. It's an incredible win. Tell us a little bit more about what happens next. You meet the young women.
1: Yeah. I met them and that increased my motivation like triple thousand times. And now I knew why I'm doing what I was doing. Ah. Like I increased my training. Now I was done. I was at 27,000 feet and the next mountain was Everest. So I had the confidence. I knew that I'm ready for Everest. If I made it 45 days and 27,000 feet, next one is just 60 days and 29,000 feet. Nice. Nice. So, I was ready, I was confident, I uh, increased my training, I increased my fundraising. It was just I was on top of it until a seven point eight earthquake happened.
0: So now you're fast forwarding to you're actually on Everest at this point, correct?
1: Yes, yeah. okay, yeah,
0: okay. so you train, you get back to Nepal, yeah, you get to base yeah. camp. yeah. and how high up are you when when the earthquake hit?
1: It's 20,000 feet right above the base camp because base camp is 17,000 and it takes 10 days to get to the base camp and it takes 10 days to practice crossing ladders in Kumbu Icefall. Yes. Kumbu Icefall is the most dangerous part of Everest for people who don't know about it. Just Google it and you'll see crazy pictures of this. (laughs) piece of mountain it's the most dangerous the most unstable part of everest but the most beautiful part of mm. the mountain there there are glaciers in the form of pieces of ice like a three floor building but they look like there was a crazy drunk uh, artist who were making statues with ice and created all those <laughs> It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. Like the whole time that I was walking, even though I had to cross ladders over these deep crevasses that I can't even see the bottom, but I was in awe of that beauty. So Mm. it takes 10 days practicing crossing ladders because it's just, they are so dangerous and it needs some time to get used to that. And sure. the ladders are very different. They're 45 degrees. They're flat. Some of them are on the walls. And you just need to go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth until you feel much more comfortable. So that takes 10 days. And after 10 days, it was the time to go up. And that was April 25th, 2015, when we were at 20,000 feet, when a 7.8 earthquake has struck Nepal.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah. I was on an ice wall. Like, have you watched Game of Thrones? Yes. Yeah. So that ice wall that they have, imagine me climbing that. (laughs) (laughs) And there were five ladders on top of each other. And then there was just a little bit of a gap. And then that was the end of the wall. So I was on top of the fifth ladder. And I was about to finish the wall when the earthquake struck us. Hmm. And the whole wall started shaking left and right and left and right. And at that point, because the whole mountain was shaking, first I thought, oh, the ladder is loose. But then when I saw so much snow and debris are falling on me and I can't see anything, then I realized, no, this is much bigger than the ladder. And coming from California, the horizontal movement felt like an earthquake. Wow. And everything started breaking down. Pieces of ice were falling down the mountain. And the noise that it made was like a rocket taking off. So the noise was extremely scary. I couldn't see anything. I couldn't breathe. Like breathing at 20,000 feet is really hard. And now I add avalanches, like a bunch of avalanches that are happening at the same time all over the mountain to it. So there was so much snow and debris in the air, it was hard to get oxygen in. Wow. So I had to climb up past the edge. Uh, there was an anchor there. I knew that. So I clipped myself to the anchor. But I knew this is it. This is the end. There is uh, there, there is no way that I can survive this. And yeah. I I was kicking my feet to the snow to fix myself. I was wrapping the rope around my arms. I was clipping myself like twice, three times to the anchor. But... I knew that I I, like movies. I saw my life in front of me. I was sad. I was scared. I saw my parents grieving and there was this moment that I stopped doing anything. And I just knew this is it. I'm going to fall down. I'm going to bury the live under the snow. And that's how it's going to finish. And there was this moment of acceptance. Mm. I just, let go i wow. allowed myself to just 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 be there for the last moments and everything stopped everything stopped i could see like the, the two people in front of me they they were yelling at me saying things but i couldn't un- hear them or understand them and yeah. so uh, the rest of the team were below the ladders they all gathered up we all gathered up and we had to continue up we couldn't go back down because the ladders were unstable. So we continued up. We uh, we got to the next camp, and everybody was so shocked.
0: So this was Camp 2 at this point?
1: Camp 1.
0: Camp 1, okay. Camp. So base camp and then Camp 1, okay. Yes. So how how many days were you at Camp 1?
1: For two days, we were up there, and then the helicopter rescued us, took us to the base camp. Base camp was even worse. Because 20 people died there. They got an avalanche uh, and there was like bodies all over. There were blood on everybody's jacket. It was just crazy, unbelievable, crazy. And then six days in the base camp and then we got another helicopter. We went to a village and from that village, another helicopter took us to another village. And finally, uh, we got to Kathmandu, capital of Nepal. And at this point I was extremely angry because I just raised money for the girls to continue their education. Yeah. But now they don't even have a home, they don't even have water or food. They don't even have their basic needs met.
0: Because the the earthquake impacted Kathmandu, correct?
1: Yeah, the epicenter oh. was closer to Kathmandu. So that day 10,000 people died and 100,000 people became homeless.
0: Wow and you're right there at the at the epicenter of it
1: yeah and um i mean that that that's that was when um i decided to dedicate my life to this cause because i realized i mean there was no way that anybody could survive where i was during that earthquake that crazy earthquake i mean everest has its own risk avalanche yeah. and earthquake has its own risk being on a wall being on a ladder being in kumbu ice wall, if i just multiply all these risks uh for for yeah. somebody like me with not much experience i mean i climbed a bunch of mountains but it's not that i have a lot of experience so i that i i felt like i got a gift and i need to give that gift back hmm. and then so i announced Again, I mean, I was very traumatized after I came back home. I mean, just for your listeners, all the girls are doing well right now. This is five years Good. after. So they all have homes and they are back to school, back uh, taking on, continuing their education. I mean, other than like this past few months that they've been in lockdown, everybody, the whole world have been in lockdown.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Other than that, they're doing well. So I didn't want to teach the girls to quit. And okay. So I decided I to go back and climb Everest again. So I announced again that I'm going to go back and climb Everest, and not just Everest. I'm going to add six more mountains and six more foundations.
0: <laughs> I love it. You are you are incredible. So, so I'm gonna I'm gonna climb Everest, but I'm also gonna add up add, add another six. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Why not? And so tell us about that. Tell us about that adventure. Where are you on that path?
1: So I've climbed six out of seven. Really? Yes. So these are seven summits, the seven yes. highest peaks on seven continents.
0: Okay. So real quick, tell us, tell us a snapshot of each one, if you would.
1: So Kilimanjaro, the highest in Africa, Elbrus, the highest in Europe, in Russia, Uh in Oceania and uh, Australia, Karsten's Pyramids. In South America, Aconcagua, which was my first mountain, the first summit, really. North America, Denali. And Antarctica, Mount Vincent. And the last one, and the first one and the last one that I still haven't summited, Mount Everest, the highest in Asia.
0: So Everest is still on the list. Yes. <laughs> Tell me about that. Tell me how you're thinking about that right now. Tell me about the, the women and the young girls in the, in the school. You said that they're doing well. And then I want, to, I want to come back to the whole conversation around leadership. What have you learned about leadership throughout this whole process? Because obviously, there's a lot of leadership occurring on the mountain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's leadership in, in helping run a nonprofit. There's leadership in just having a vision and a goal and an objective. And so I want to get to that conversation for sure. But so tell us about Everest and then tell us about the girls and then we'll talk about leadership.
1: Yeah. So Everest, I've been attempting to climb it a bunch of other times. After that, a few years after when I tried to climb it, there's some incident always happened that I never could climb it. The recent one this year, I was supposed to go climb it and the pandemic happened. So because of the pandemic, it closed down the mountain. And then once I broke my arm. So I've been attempting to climb Everest, but incidents happen and then I can't. Uh, but the, the the interesting thing about Everest is or any high altitude mountain, it is when you plan to climb them, you, I need to start at least six months before the day because I need to train, I need to prepare, I need to start getting my gear together. So uh, when something like a pandemic happens, it's very last minute. I'm already ready to climb. And then because of pandemic, I have to cancel everything.
0: Yes, because May, it would have been May, right? May. Yeah,
1: exactly. May uh, we 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 leave in March, and we come back in June.
0: But okay. the whole
1: April and May, we are on the mountain. Yeah. So so I, I've been attempting. Haven't climbed it, but I've climbed the six other ones, and secretly. I love that I haven't reached it to the top of Everest yet because that gives me an excuse to keep trying. Because for me, it's not about getting to the top of the mountain. For me, it's really the progress, the people that I meet along the way. And I feel like if I get to the top, then I need to start defining a new Everest for myself. And I like
0: it. <laughs> I, I I need to have you back, Sarah, because I, I well, a to hear about your your successful ascent of of, of Everest, but then b I, I want to hear your next objective. <laughs> That's going to be pretty incredible. So tell me about the, the tell me about the girls. How are how are they doing? And and tell me about the the work and and the cause. I'd love to hear that end of all of this.
1: So that's kind of related to my leadership as topic that you want to talk about, which we have Antioch University in common, both of us. And so my for my dissertation, which this is what I'm working on right now, uh, I'm creating a leadership, we are creating a leadership workshop with college level girls in Nepal, and we are using participatory action research. Uh, which means the participants are a big part of the project in designing the program, creating the program, evaluating the program. And this is theirs. I'm just here as a researcher and we are helping together as facilitators to create this leadership workshop. And it's been going amazing. I was worried that the pandemic would stop it, but it's been going amazing actually way better than that. I thought because we are working online on zoom together. Okay. Uh, and that I think, and that's the the great part of this story because along the way, um, I got referred to do this PhD project again by the founder of the organization, Dr. Cutler, who originally told me about the girls in Nepal. He also referred me to Antioch University for this PhD program. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Because I really told them, I want to create something for these girls so that they can help them, elevate them, take them to the next level. Because they were like me. They were like me when I was back in Iran. They were shy, zero confidence, zero communication skills, zero leadership skills. They didn't even know what they have and how to develop it and where to start, where to go. And I didn't want them to grow up like me and realize at 30 that, that this is something that is a missing. I wanted mm. to give it to them right at 18 when they come out of high school. Wow. Before even going to the college. And that's what I'm doing exactly. This is my dream because this is exactly what I wanted when I was growing up.
0: Yeah. Oh, what a beautiful story. And so tell me the timeline of your dissertation and then the program. Where are you in the process?
1: Um, I am actually doing collecting my data. So I defended my proposal a few months back, I think in May. Yeah, how many months? Two months ago. And now um, I'm collecting data. So hopefully in the next few months, uh, I'll be somewhere.
0: (laughs) Oh, that is (laughs) wonderful. We're closer.
1: I, I love this research so much. I'm enjoying collecting data so much. I don't want it to end. If I wasn't paying tuition, I would be doing this for the rest of my life.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you you needed something else on your plate, so you decided to do a PhD.
1: Exactly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I I would love to have a quick conversation cuz we're at 35 minutes. So, we'll probably we'll probably kind of uh, close down here in the next couple of minutes. But what if you were to think about the curriculum of of what you would kind of share with these young women, uh, what are some components of the curriculum or what are some ways you think about the design of, of that work? Because it's a wonderful mission. How do you think about that?
1: Since it's a participatory action research, it, this emancipatory side of it makes it really interesting because I have zero um it's kind of zero planning everything it's so lively and everything is happening as it is happening it's unfolding every day it's a new thing they uh, uh, we change the topics as we go and i try to do some research and give them some feedback but i love how it is so lively and open and they are collaborating in every single step, and they have the freedom to change anything at any point because this the process is so mm. empowering and it is giving them so much energy. They always tell me that nobody ever listened to them the way I'm listening to them in the design of this project. Wow. And, and they are so excited. They started the program. They were so shy. They didn't know what to say. They didn't know what to share. And now they are monsters. They are so confident. <laughs> <laughs> They're just amazing. They, I'm in awe of their confidence and the way uh, they are. So I go to them for motivation now. Even it might seem like I'm inspiring them, but they are inspiring me all the time.
0: It goes both ways, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. And maybe we should have another uh, call, like another podcast session together and kind of dig deeper and talk more about this. Uh, But I think uh, this program, uh, this leadership program that we did at Antioch, it's been so helpful for me and for the girls to take our leadership to the next level. And um, for me, it's been priceless. So I'm very thankful
0: i agree i'm incredibly thankful for for my time at antioch university it was a it was a wonderful experience and uh, mentors that we had there uh transformed my life for sure for sure and i think what a wonderful opportunity you have to uh, be as instrumental in these these women's lives as you know uh, some of the mentors that you've had along the way whether that's on the mountain I'm sure you've had mentors in that space uh, or, or mentors elsewhere. And so, but I, I, I just had a, I don't have a well-formulated thought, but something that came to mind for me when it comes to leader development is in some ways it's a parallel to, to climbing, right? In in the beginning, you didn't even know what you didn't know and you'd never, you'd never camped. You didn't. And then all of a sudden you, you start, You are a woman right now who has climbed six of the highest peaks in the world. Very few people can say that. And if you think about the beginning of that journey, I'm sure there's been a huge identity shift and an increase in confidence and just a transformation. And I think a lot of times that's what's happening. If we're we're doing leader development well, if it's well designed and it's intentional, I think there's so much opportunity to do great good.
1: Yeah, for sure. I totally agree with you. And walking the talk, like a lot of times I ask the girls, what what can I do for you so that we can uh, help the process? And usually they say the feedback that they tell me is that you have so much energy and motivation and you always do the things that you say you do. So we are learning what we are learning from you is that you walk the talk. Yep. And that and, and I'm glad that I'm the role model that I never had all my life until I moved to the United States. I'm glad that I am that role model for them because, yeah. I mean, I mean, I don't have my own kids, uh, but I'm I love it that I get to be that person for them.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, To be continued, Sarah, to be continued. So real quick, I always have a couple questions at the end of the podcast. So what are you uh, reading or streaming or listening to that's kind of caught your attention lately? And it doesn't have to have anything to do with what we've just discussed.
1: I recently listened to this book on uh, my Audible. I love Audible. I listen to Audible a lot and I try, which is a book called Sapiens by Yuval Harari.
0: Yes, that is so good.
1: I love that book. I'm just, I've, this is my third time reading that book and I love it. And another thing, this is not, this is related to relationships for people who are searching for the right person. I read recently read this book called Attached by Amir Levine and okay. Rachel Heller. It's about attachment uh, laws. And so I needed that. And then I read this book called Talking to Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell.
0: Oh, good. Good. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wonderful. So I have a book for you. Awesome. If you, if you listen to, it might be two or three podcasts ago, Julie Owen. Okay. She wrote, she wrote a book called We Are the Leaders We've Been Waiting For. Mm-hmm. And the book is about developing leadership in women.
1: Oh nice.
0: and it's it's a wonderful read. I'm about seventy pages in, and it's been incredible and okay. I'm, I'm learning a lot. So please listen to that podcast, but then also buy her book because I think it could inform some of your work.
1: Thank you so much. I will look it, look it up.
0: Okay I always have I, I, I always have three words and uh, for for each guest and if i know the guest oftentimes i kind of share those three words at the beginning my three words for you are uh, she climbed everest <laughs> and so now i am excited for us to continue this conversation because that's exactly how i'm going to start that episode all
1: right sounds okay? great perfect
0: you keep up the good work thank you for the work that you're doing you are an incredible incredible person doing incredible work in the world and And thank you, thank, thank you. you.
1: Thank you, Scott. Thank you for having me.
0: You bet What a fun conversation with Sarah Safari. Uh, this is a woman who is making a difference in the world. Uh, she's challenging herself and she is changing the lives of others. She's pursuing her PhD And when I think of Sarah and I think of our conversation, so many concepts that we discuss, As leadership educators come to mind, I think about perseverance, grit, vision, purpose, relationship, influence, achievement, and getting results, integrity, and making a difference in this world. Sarah, good work. I can't wait to continue this conversation and witness the incredible things that you accomplish. You have been listening to the Practical Wisdom for Leaders podcast. If you liked what you heard... Please share it with others and let them know what we're up to. And one last quick reminder to click subscribe so you know when we publish new episodes. And of course, we'd love to hear your feedback. You can stay in touch with me by visiting www.scottjallen.net or any number of social media platforms. Be well, be safe, and make a difference wherever you are on this beautiful planet. And now, here's Kate's twin sister, Emily, with the outro. You've been listening to Phronesis, Practical Wisdom with Scott Allen.